We're jumping into another message in our series called People Problems. We're talking all about our relationships and um, the struggles that can appear in them. And this week we're talking about uh, the monster in your home, in your relationships. Uh, Before we get into that message, could I just uh, pray for us and ask God to meet us here? God, we thank you so much for the space, the space where we can kind of cut away from the distractions and the noise of life, the expectations of others, and look for you, listen for your voice. You know what we're all going through. You know the junk we carry in, the heart, the stuff that's heavy on our hearts, the things that are plaguing our minds with anxiety. You know all of it, and we lay it all before you right now. Just say, we want you to do a work in our heart. Pray that your spirit would move in this place, and we know that your word doesn't go out and return void. Do, do a thing in our hearts and our lives this morning. Uh, this is about you. It's not about us. It's not about me. This is about you and what you have for us and your plan for us and what you want to do in us and through us, and we trust you with that. We trust you with it. We just want to follow you. We're so thankful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in a message called uh, a series. If if you're new here, you haven't been um, haven't been here in a little while. We're in a series called People Problems, and we've been looking at relationships. God God's design for your life includes relationships, like uh, His plan for you. The context of growth He provides for you is often in relationships. They're an important part of what he's called you to, what he wants to do in you, where he wants to take you, it's relationships. And it's so important to look and say, okay, so if relationships are so important to us and our journey and so important to God, then maybe we should at least ask or look at what's his way of doing relationships. And we've been kind of saying like, his way of handling conflict in relationships is better than my way. His way of forgiving is better than my way of holding on to this pain and the hurt that I've experienced. His way of communicating and setting boundaries and talking about the things that are going on in my life with the people I'm in relationship with are better. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested in following the better way. I, I know I don't have that in and of myself. It comes from, from following and listening to God's voice in my life as it applies to relationships. Last week we talked about forgiveness, and that was a heavy one, because it is not lost on me that there's a, that you may be rolling into this place cause, carrying a lot of pain and a lot of hurt from your past. You may have things that you've been holding on to that are affecting your relationships today, things that are still uh, points of great trouble for you. And so it's hard to talk about forgiveness. I, I, I want to hold on to the hurt and the pain and the wounds and all that stuff because somehow it makes me feel like I'm protecting myself and punishing the other person. But as we talked about last week, I'm really, I'm just punishing myself and I'm missing out on what God has for me next when I'm clinging on to what was. I'm not letting him heal the wounds of my heart when I'm clinging to them so tightly. This one today, it, it's really, it's impossible to forgive if this is the monster that you have wreaking havoc in your life, in your home, or in your heart. And today I want to talk to you about the monster in your home, the monster in your relationships, and it's something that is 
um, personal, and honestly, I hope this is a big whiff on my part. I hope this is a whiff, just like Matt Olson whiffed all night last night in the Phillies Braves playoff game. No, nobody, nobody watched that butt whooping. Okay, um, it's just one game though, so pray for my Phillies the rest of the way. Uh, this one's a tough one too because this one we're talking about ego, pride. I think when we're talking about the word pride in scripture and what it means, it, it fits very good with ego. And here's the definition I want to give you for ego. Ego is an unhealthy belief in your own importance. Somebody should write that down somewhere. It's an unhealthy belief in your own importance. And I want to just mention to you that if you let faith drive your identity, you know you're important. Like some of you have rolled in here defeated and beat up and feeling worthless. And you need to know that when you walk into here, we do not affirm that kind of self-view. That is not a faith-based view. It's not a view given to you by Jesus. This is not what he has for you. You are valuable and you are important to God. You are worth so much he sent his son for you. Like there's no other message in culture or in the world today as encouraging, as inspiring, as empowering as the message that Christ gives to you. You are created in God's image. You are loved and accepted as you are. He has purpose and meaning for your life. So can we just agree here this morning that while we're going to go after and attack our ego, that does not mean belittling yourself, degrading yourself, looking at yourself as worthless or unworthy or uh, invaluable or unimportant. You are so important. Can we get that clear? Can you lock that in? You are so valuable to God. He takes great delight in you. He accepts you and loves you. Lock it. Keep it. So important. But on the other hand, a self-inflated look at your own importance is one of the most devastating things in your life. And C.S. Lewis once said that the root of all sin, he believes, is that there's pride at the root of all of it. And that, that word pride, that word ego, an unhealthy belief in your own importance, it starts in really little ways, in small ways. It's a drift that happens when you're not really paying attention to it. You go from a healthy view of yourself a healthy view of your value and importance. You go for, it's easy to go from a healthy view of self and drift into an unhealthy view, an unhealthy, unbalanced view of your own importance. It happens with just a little bit of pride, a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of self-righteousness, a little bit of self-indulgence, a little bit of, little bit extra self, a little bit extra me, a little bit extra I, and all of a sudden, you can drift into this unhealthy place where you are holding your importance above the importance of others, where you have inflated yourself and you are starting to take ground away from the true God in your life and give that ground to you because of what you want to get out of it, because of what it makes you feel. It's little, it starts subtle, but the consequences are huge. And Proverbs 16, 19, maybe you've heard this said before, like pride comes before fall. Like have you ever heard that said? You ever said that to somebody? Like just getting a little cocky, a little too big for their britches is what my old man used to say. <laughs> right, like I don't know what that means and maybe it doesn't even mean something good, but <laughs> that's what he used to say. Um, 
you ever say that, like pride comes before fall? It's actually cutting out the worst part of that verse. The actual verse in Proverbs 16, it says this. It says, pride goes before destruction. Haughtiness comes before fall. So that's worse than just falling. Like, oh, pride's not just like a little trip. It's not a little stumble. Pride is the root of destruction in your life and in your relationships. If that's not enough for you, Proverbs 29, 23 says, pride brings a person low. Proverbs 13, 10, where there is strife, there is pride. Do you see it? In your relationships? Are you in a space where it just feels really destructive? Just this just anger escalating on anger, escalating on anger, and it's just going down really fast. You feel like you're hitting new lows in your relationships. New lows, right? Like, I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd do that. Or that thing rolling around, that voice rolling around, you know, the stuff you don't say but you think about saying. You have, you have that stuff. The hand gestures you don't do but you think about doing. Come on, are we pretending here? Are we just doing real church? Like, I'm interested in doing real church. I don't want to pretend. You know that stuff you all got? Don't, I mean, don't nod too enthusiastically because <laughs> you'll get an elbow in your side, right? But like, <laughs> you know that stuff, right? Like, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, man. If you look at what you're thinking and what you're running in internally, it's like, man, this is, how have I gotten so harsh? It's like, this is new lows for me. Do you feel like, there's just strife. It's not easy. It just should be easy, but it's not. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to get along? Why is it so hard for us to get on the same page? Why is it so hard for us to communicate? Why is it so hard for us to enjoy our lives anymore? Why is it so hard for us? You have strife? Like, maybe. Maybe at the root of that, it's not an issue with the other person. What if it's an issue with your own pride and ego? What if maybe in subtle ways, in small ways, I'm not blaming you, it happens to me too all the time. Like what if, what if you've drifted into the space where pride and ego have taken too much ground in your heart and you have inflated your importance above others? above where it should be. A great story about this is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. I, I'm gonna read to you a summary of Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel gives to his son. I'm just gonna read this because it's a great summary and then if you go down through the rest of it, you find out that, uh, well, then I'll skim through the whole story. And by the way, if you wanna dig deeper into this story and more, there's a grow group right now that's studying the book of Daniel. I think they meet on Tuesday nights here in the building. I forget what time, 6.30 maybe. We have groups that help you kind of dig deeper and take your faith another step. And we have all kinds of them. I just thought it was interesting because we're talking a little bit about the book of Daniel this morning. And there's a whole group that's been meeting, that meets every week that gets really deep into it. But I want to read to you the summary um, that Daniel gives to Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Knezzar. I never want this, I would never want this to be the report that somebody's given my son about me. It says, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, the most high God gave your father, 
Nebuchadnezzar's sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the nations and all the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given a, the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and sits over them and sets over them anyone he wishes. The story of Nebuchadnezzar you might know about because uh, if, you've, if you've gone to Sunday school or if you checked out VBS, maybe you heard the incredible story of the fiery furnace. You ever hear that one? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like that whole story starts is kind of like what puts Nebuchadnezzar on the map, though there's more to it leading up to that. That's, what he's most, that's kind of like the most famous moment that we talk about a lot in church. You have this scene where Babylon has captured um, Israel and taken the best of Israel back to Babylon to work in their courts and in their system and to be trained by them. They took the best and the brightest, and these people got promoted up in the Babylon, Babylonian kingdom. They were still captives, but they were trained and given some power and some jobs and some important stuff to do. Um, and so you have a couple of these Israelites that are gathered around, and Nebuchadnezzar gets with his cronies, and they're all just telling him what he wants to hear because people will feed your ego if they, you let them. People will feed your ego if you let them. So these guys are feeding Nebuchadnezzar's ego, right? And so he has this grand plan. I'm gonna build a huge idol and then we're gonna have everybody gathered together. I'm missing tons of stuff. You're gonna have to read it on your own. It's an incredible story. We're gonna gather everybody together and we're gonna play some trumpets and then everybody's gonna bow to this. And, and these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Israelites that were taken captive um, and promoted would not bow down to this God, this fake God, this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had created. Word gets around and the, his cronies, Nebuchadnezzar's cronies, come and give a report to him. He says, but there's some Jews who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, listen to how they pitch this, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons them, and maybe you know the rest of the story. They end up throwing them into the furnace to be consumed by the fire. Spoiler alert, they weren't, all right? But here you have in the story of the fiery furnace, you see the drastic places your ego will take you. People feeding it. Oh, it's about you. It's about how you feel. It's about what you want to get out of it. It's about what serves you. It's about what, whatever whim you have. Let's just do you. And here you have an ego untethered leading to drastic things. Building a fake God. Asking and expecting everyone to bow down to it. And the end result 
is fury, rage, and a fiery furnace that you're throwing people into. Like if you let your ego go untethered and unchecked, it will take you to dramatic places. It will deepen your weaknesses. And maybe, maybe just when I end up in places in my relationships that I never wanted to be in, having conversations I never wanted to have, maybe the reason I'm ending up in drastic places, the reason why my anger seems to be a little shorter some days, the reason why I'm quicker to lose it, maybe the reason is my ego is just inflated. It takes him to drastic places, but at the end of that chapter, you have this incredible twist. It's uh, Jesus meets them in, yeah, literally, it's incredible, in the fiery furnace. He, instead of looking in and seeing three, he sees four. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the fiery furnace. We haven't sung this song in a while, but there's a song called Through the Fire, In the Fire, Another in the Fire, something like that. It's a cool song. We play it here once in a while. Um, three come out unscathed, right? And Nebuchadnezzar has this acknowledgement of God, but acknowledging, you can acknowledge God and still miss it. One of my greatest fears is that we have a complex, big church, lots of people come, different services in different communities, and people come and acknowledge God, but miss it, miss the main point of it. Nebuchadnezzar, he makes a decree in all languages for all people, saying, if anyone says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're supposed to be cut into pieces and their houses turned into rubble, right? Like the king promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's acknowledging God, but he still doesn't get the one true God. He still doesn't understand what this is all about. So he has this dream. God gives him this dream, this vision about life, and we don't have to get into it real, real deeply right now, um, but there's this tree, and it's a beautiful tree, and it ends up being cut down to a stump, and the roots remain, and those represent his kingdom and him losing everything. He has this dream, and he calls up Daniel, who's called Belshazzar. He's the chief of his magicians, and he asks Daniel, this follower of the one true God, acknowledging that the holy God is within him, and he asks him to interpret the dream for him. Shares all the details, and Daniel listens to all the details, and at the end of the telling of the dream from Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel, Daniel seems to be, seems to be hesitant to give him the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar's like, it's all right. And like, I get, like, even if it's terrible, tell me the dream. You're not gonna be punished for telling me the dream. So Daniel interprets the dream. Not going to get into all of it, but in 24, it picks up of chapter 4 of Daniel, and it says, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. And give them, gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Not you. Not your kingdom. Not your inflated view of yourself. Not your stupid statues. Not the things you prop up as God. God. 
Not yourself when you prop yourself up as God. Not you when you look over everything and say things like, look what I did, look what I accomplished, look what I got done, look what I have, you all serve me. Not that, heaven rules. Daniel goes on in verse 27. He says, therefore your majesty be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. See, an inflated view of self is not only damaging to your relationships. It not only will cause conflict in your relationships that doesn't need to be had. It not only will kill your uh, ability to admit that you're wrong. It'll, it'll, not only will it steal your empathy. Not only will it keep you from working as a team. It'll create unrealistic expectations. It makes you have a fear of being vulnerable. It does all those things to relationships. But most importantly, it's not God's design for you. Is sin. It's missing the mark of who you were created to be. And so it keeps you from your purpose. It keeps you from truly understanding your beautiful, amazing, incredible identity in Christ. So damaging. He drifts. Even though the warning was there, I drift too. He's listening to the wrong voices, and there's plenty of voices that'll help inflate your self-importance to unhealthy levels. Not only will people inflate you and your ego, but you and your self-talk can inflate you and your e ego. And if you do not pay attention to your weaknesses, if you do not pay attention to your pride and your ego, it'll drift unchecked take you to really unhealthy places. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, the word says. And in verse 29, 12 months later, took some time to drift. He probably started off strong. Like, that's not gonna be me. Uh-uh. I got that dream. That's a bad dream. Don't wanna have that dream again. I hear you, Daniel. I'm gonna keep, he probably kept it like locked down. Kept it in step. He's probably like a, a good little God listener, Jesus follower, even though he didn't know it was following Jesus at the time, right? Like he's probably like locked it in. Like he's like, I'll crank on some worship music maybe. Like we're gonna change the vibe around here. Let's do that. I'm gonna listen to, listen to Christian radio on the way to work. I'm gonna go to church, right? Like let's get it together. Probably started off strong, but 12 months, man, and no attention to his pride, no working on his weaknesses, no, going to God and, and submitting to God as heaven rules, not me, your will, God, not mine. After 12 months of that, he's walking around the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and he says to himself, this is the bad self-talk right here, is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my might, and for the glory of my majesty, even as those prideful, arrogant, self-inflated, ego-driven words were rolling out of his mouth, Scripture says, a voice came from heaven, says, this is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Your royalty has been taken away. You'll be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. It goes on and it says in verse 33 that immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from his people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, his nails like the claws of the bird. But at the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. There's the hopeful piece. But before you get to the hope, you have to understand that your ego, your unhealthy view of your own importance will put you on an island and not a fun kind with fruity drinks and umbrellas. Not that kind of island. It'll put you on an island that is barren, that is lonely, that is empty. It'll, I've seen it happen so much. When you let your ego go unchecked, it'll isolate you from the people around you. At some point, they won't want to be around you anymore. You'll end up lonely and bitter, seeking your own gain and your own purposes and your own means and finding out that they keep turning up empty because you have put yourself on an island by yourself, isolated, alone, distrusting, and mistrusted. The good news is that while our ego does so much damage to ourselves, God is a God who will restore the humble. I love that it just took a look to the heavens. There's no like long prayer like you find in the book of Jonah. It's not like some big dialogue or discourse. It says that all it took was a look up to who the true God is. And in that look, in that acknowledgement, I'm not God of my own life. You are true and right, and I'm not always. In that look, God starts to restore him. He praised God after that, and he's honored and glorified him who lives forever. He says, he gives this incredible little praise speech there and his people seek him out and they restore him to his throne and in Nebuchadnezzar's account of this he talks about how his prosperity goes farther past than anything he had before his kingdom grew greater than anything it was before once he acknowledged that heaven rules not me it's a beautiful story of restoration can I give you just four quick things that I think are so important to keeping our ego in check. And the first one is to live humbly. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I want to be on the humble side of that equation. I don't ever want to be in a space where God is opposing me because I am setting myself up as God of my own life. Humility is so important. It's not looking less of yourself and it's not looking greater of yourself. It's elevating your, yourself to the right place, lowering yourself to the right space. Humble. He exalts the humble. And so I want to keep an attitude that says, I want to be right where God wants me. That's the right space. I'm not God of my life. And I'm not a loser. I'm amazing and created by him, and valued by him with purpose and gifts and meaning. 
but heaven rules. Not me and not my will. The second thing I think that's so important is that, is that to, to be teachable. Nehemiah, or uh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> that's a way wrong book, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar had the opportunity to be teachable, he just wasn't. Like the warnings were all there. They could not have gotten any clearer. Daniel laid it all out for him. God sent someone to show him, like to walk him through it. This is what's gonna happen. Like he just was not teachable. Philippians 3, I love that in verse 12, Paul, who under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned a whole lot of the New Testament. He said, I've not arrived at my goal, but I press on. Like teachable people realize that I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. And so here's something that's mind-blowing in today's world. My opinions might not be right. Your opinions might not be right. You don't see everything. You don't know everything. You don't know all the angles. You don't know what God's doing in all the stories. And we have this like arrogant space even in Christianity it should be the last space you find it but I see it like where we're just not teachable we think we have it all locked down God's word has it all locked down but I don't know anybody here who understands everything knows everything like you didn't make it yet you don't know everything and that's okay it's okay be teachable. Teachable people are able to follow Jesus. Unteachable people are too busy explaining why they have everything right to follow Jesus. And then perspective. It's number three. Romans 12, three says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves, somebody circle this verse or write it down or something. Think of yourselves with sober judgment according to the faith he has given each of you. Sober judgment according to the faith he's given you. Like take a step back and see yourself rightly according to faith. This is a problem, I think, right? Like because because somehow in the Christian world, I think we see this inflated kind of self-righteousness pop out. It's ego, self-righteous. I'm better than you. I know better than you. I do better than you. And we pull out these morality scales. And because someone lives different or believes different or thinks different, we look down on them past our long self-righteous noses. And we judge them and we push them down. And, we talk, and crazy things start coming out about like, like, it's just not good. And then the other hand of that, like, we don't have a faith-driven view of ourselves when we are self-deprecating. I'm a loser. I'm, I just grovel. I'm terrible. I'm an awful person. I'm never, ever gonna please God. That's not a Christian view either. Like, when you let your faith drive your perspective, you end up in exactly the right spot. I'm broken. And I'm sinful, and I need God. And he gives me purpose and meaning and loves me as I am, and I have value to him. I'm not God, though. And I don't know everything, and I, and I don't see everything. 
And I'm not going to put myself in the seat that God should sit in in my life. I'm going to humbly submit to him knowing my value and worth. Like that's the right perspective. If you are feeling like a turd, (laughs) you need your faith to start defining your identity. I know what I said. Email somebody else about it. (laughs) And if you are struggling with self-righteousness and looking down on others, you need to let your faith redefine your identity because both of those things are out of whack. The fourth thing, the most important thing, be like Jesus. You will never go wrong when you're trying to be like Jesus. You're, I saw Ellen Musk posted a tweet, right? Like, what's the answer to the, all this hate? It's being like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 gives us a great example of it. I'm just going to leave you with this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in your relationships. Humble yourself. Be like Jesus. And God will exalt you and lift you up. Let's pray. God, would you help us to have a right view of self? Kill our egos. Man, they're just wreaking havoc in our life and not your design for us. You're God. Heaven rules. We don't. And help us to be more like Jesus in our relationships, to humble ourselves. And maybe that practically means today that some people need to walk out of this building and serve someone that has been annoying them. Serve someone that they have been looking down on. Serve someone they've been judging. Serve someone they've been fighting with. Maybe that's what that means, practically speaking, because you certainly humbled yourself and became like a servant to us. We're so glad that we would be lost 
if you didn't. Help us be more like Jesus. It's in his perfect name we pray. Amen.